Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. This is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and it's Stuff You Should Know. Rainy edition. Is it rainy? How appropriate that we're doing this one today because it has been raining in Atlanta for... 40 days and 40 nights, it seems like. It really has been. I've been breaking out the duck boots, man. I almost oh. never wear those because it's not that rainy. But, well, yeah. Sure it is. As, well, dude, we're in the midst of like a 10-year drought, you know. Oh, like, true. We're still in drought level conditions. Yeah, and then tomorrow it says maybe even snow in the northern suburbs. I know. That'd be nice if Another it snowed down here. Another 100% chance of rain or snow. Um, You know... Despite all this rain, we still are in a drought condition, and we have been yeah. for a while. You remember back in 2007? Oh, yeah. When Sonny Perdue was the governor, they held an official state prayer for rain, <laughs> where Governor Perdue led a prayer for rain, saying, like, God, please rain. Yes. For the love of God. Uh-huh. For the love of you. Yeah. Please make it rain. Yeah, and it rained. Um, I, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he held that prayer on the night before it was calling for a 100% chance of rain the Is next that right? day. I don't remember it raining the next day. Yeah, it rained the next day, and people were said, oh, my goodness, God made it rain. Sonny Perdue is a magic of man. He did. Yeah. Mother Nature at work. So um, you got people praying for rain. Mm-hmm. You have the rain dance, um, yeah. th- which is uh, really hard to find any information on these days, but apparently the Pueblo had a pretty cool rain dance. Yeah. Because, you know, they lived in the southwest where it was very dry, so they knew what they were doing. Sure. Um, and then there was something that I discovered today called the Paparuda, which is uh, from um, Romania. And basically, a girl from a village would run around wearing, like, a skirt with um, made of, like, vines and branches. And she would go um, dancing through the streets of the village and then go house to house. And then when she was greeted at the door of each house, people would pour water on her. And she would just continue dancing, and people would be playing music, and um, eventually it would hopefully rain. Eventually that would evolve into the wet t-shirt contest at Panama City Beach. I guess that's probably (laughs) where it came from, yeah. Wow, who knew? Yeah, which, of course, uh, you referenced the fact that Panama City Beach was settled by Romanian (laughs) settlers. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, for a change, we're talking about the weather, and it's not uh, some little boring chit-chat. You know what I'm saying? You don't think this was boring chit-chat? No, it's legit because, you know, usually when you're like, oh, you know, it's raining here, it's just a very boring way to say I have not much to say. Oh, gotcha. You know what I'm saying? I but, see what you but mean. But this yes. is actually topical. Yeah, it is. Uh, we're, we're saying that um, because we're talking about weather modification. You could say that rain dance was an early attempt at it. Yeah. Um, and then in a the early 20th century, people started to try to apply science to it. And there were some pretty cool attempts early on by very smart guys from like Harvard and MIT and a Dutch guy um, to basically either make it rain, Mm -hmm. to make it stop raining, or to deter some other kind of weather phenomenon. Yeah, like fog or hurricanes or tornadoes. Yeah. Actually, those came along a little later. But fog, I think you have down in 1938, they were trying to dissipate fog. Yeah, a guy named Professor Henry G. Houghton of MIT. Yeah, I think my favorite is the Harvard guy, Professor Emery Leon Chaffee. <laughs> right. 
Sounds like he should be from the University of the South. Yeah, well, he was flying around in a plane in 1924 um, with charged sand. Whatever the heck that is. Well, I think it's sand that you apply an electrical current to. Yeah, I think so. You do something to its ions, right? Yeah. And uh, he was dumping it into the clouds. And actually, he was definitely on to something. I don't know where he figured that out, but he um, was, I guess you could say, the grandfather of cloud seeding then. Yeah. Grand- Grandpa Chaffee. <laughs> right. Um, and things were kind of humming along a little bit until um, uh, Kurt Vonnegut's older brother, Bernie Bernard, Dr. Bernard, really took it by the horns and made some headway. Yeah. As far as cloud seeding and actually controlling the weather in the mid-1940s. Right. I guess he was researching that for GE. And yeah. he figured out that silver iodide has virtually the same distance between um, points in its crystal lattice structure yeah. as ice. So he said, you know what? I'll bet this would be a really good stand-in for ice formation. So if you put it into clouds, maybe it would make ice form. Yeah, and he even figured out how to generate it, right? Yeah. No, is- yeah, he's like, not only that, this isn't all theoretical. I'm a Vonnegut. <laughs> so I'm going to just go the extra mile. You don't know my little brother yet. Right. But you're going to be knocked out by his books. You're going to love him. Yeah. People are going to try to ban T-shirts with his quotes on it during Ban Books Week. <laughs> the irony is going to be lousy. That's right. So, so uh, what's, what's the process? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, the process of creating it, uh, he dissolves a mixture of, are we going to call it AGI? Yeah. Of AGI. Um, and acetone, which is also iodide, is that right? Uh, oh, another iodide with acetone. Yeah, the acetone is flammable. You can spray that through a nozzle, make the tiny little droplets, mm-hmm. then burn those droplets up. And then that really makes it more efficient. One gram of AGI can then produce 100 quadrillion nuclei for these ice crystals. Yeah. So you take that stuff, you put it up in the clouds, it goes up. That's right. And it actually, according to Vonnegut's theories, um, has a number of effects. Uh, and here's how it works. Yeah, this is where I get a little confused. Okay. This is what the segments we like to call Josh Teaches Chuck, <laughs> in addition to the world. Okay. You ready? Uh-huh. Right. So you think that zero degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit is where ice freezes. It is. That's what they always say. This is actually the melting point of ice. Oh. So ice... I knew that part. <laughs> ice um, freezes between zero and negative 39 degrees Celsius. Right. Um, and it depends on the number of impurities, which yeah. we'll call nuclei. Okay. And when we're talking nuclei, when we're talking about cloud seeding, you're talking about any particle that can attract water to become a raindrop, mm-hmm. that can attract water vapor and turn it into ice through sublimation. Yeah. Um, and become snow or uh, sleet or anything like that. So a nuclei is anything that you introduce into a cloud that becomes the center of this precipitation, right? Uh, okay. See, that already makes more sense. Okay. So uh, with... There's two types of clouds as far as Vonnegut's concerned, um, or his technique is concerned. There is a super cool cloud, which has water um, that is less than zero degrees Celsius yes. present. And that's the ideal cloud for cloud seeding, correct? For one type of cloud seeding, for using silver iodide. Okay. Because what you're trying to do there is create ice. Right. And if you're using silver iodide, which has a, a similar structure to ice crystals, um, you're going to use that in the super cold one. 
Because if you use it in the other type, the warm cloud, right. it's not going to do anything because it's not going to form ice no matter what. The temperature is too high. But you can still see the warm cloud, correctly? You can. Correct. So you use a silver iodide. Vonnegut's method is still in use today um, where you're burning silver iodide mixed in acetone to mm-hmm. create quadrillions of nuclei that float up into the cloud. Yeah. Create um, an updraft because – check this out. This is even more beautiful. When the silver iodide nuclei enter the cloud, uh-huh. they start to attract the water vapor. Right. And as the water vapor converts from vapor, with not turning back into liquid because it's sublimation. That's right. Converts from liquid or vapor into ice. Mm-hmm. It creates heat energy as a result. Or it doesn't create okay. it. It, tra- it Heat energy it comes about. Okay. It's magic. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, and as that happens, that creates a convective current going up in the cloud, which creates a swirl, an updraft, okay. which makes the cloud bigger, which means that the stuff, the particles that happen at the top have longer to fall through to create m- more ice, accumulate more ice, and have a better chance of becoming snow. So that's the super cool cloud using silver iodide. So the cloud is literally pregnant with precipitation. Yeah, that not only creates snow and ice... Mm-hmm but actually makes the cloud bigger to increase the likelihood that it will produce snow and ice. Wow. Just by introducing silver iodide. That's pretty Vonnegut crazy. was a genius. Yeah. The other way is to do uh, to use a warm cloud, which is uh, a cloud where the water temperature, the air temperature, is uh, over zero degrees Celsius. That's right. And then that is pretty simple. You just use table salt. Really? Or sand. Charged or otherwise. Yeah, okay. But you want to dump that into the top of the cloud. Right, and it requires dumping a lot of it, too. Right. Right. Is like, that one of the problems with it? or? Uh, yeah, I mean, it just there's more to it. If you're doing, um, if you're using Vonnegut's method, you can use a seeding station on the ground. Right. If you're, if you're using static cloud seeding where you're flying overhead and dropping stuff into the clouds, right. um, you have to have a plane. Oh, yeah. You have to have a lot more of it. But what you're using is a, called a hygroscopic solution, which attracts water to uh-huh. create raindrops, which fall through the cloud, wow. becoming bigger and bigger on the way. And then, bam, you have rain. You've just seeded a cloud. That's amazing. So GE did have a plane um, in 1946, or at least the article says they rented an airplane. <laughs> it's didn't have their own. And they said, we should try this out. And they released dry ice into these clouds for four days. Uh, in November, December of 46. Mm-hmm. And on the last day, they received the heaviest snowfall of that winter um, in the area of New York's uh, Schenectady, New York. Mm-hmm. But there's been a lot of con- – well, well, we'll get to whether or not this stuff works at the very end. Right. But it seems like every time it happens, people are saying, I think we might have caused that. And other people think, yeah, but did we really? Right. Were you guys just cloud seeding enough so that – over enough days that it was bound to rain anyway. Like the governor of Georgia praying for rain the night before it's supposed to rain. Exactly. Um, so GE was convinced enough that this was working, that it's, it was like, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. And the Army said, hey, we have a bunch of money. Why don't you let us in on this? <laughs> and we have a bunch of money and low scruples because we're about to start testing acid on people whether they like it or not. Yeah. So cloud seeding's like nothing to us. And GE said, okay, as long as you guys are totally liable – Sure, we'll do it with you. Yeah, so they partnered up for Project Cirrus. Right. Um, and in 1947, in October of th- uh, 47, they dumped 180 pounds of dry ice into a hurricane in the Atlantic Ocean and possibly changed the direction of that hurricane to make landfall right here in Georgia mm-hmm. uh, and ended up killing several people. Yeah. So that was sort of an oops 
Although, again, they're like, did we really cause that? Well, the guy who was uh, Bernard Vonnegut's boss, Irving Langmuir, he was uh-huh. a Nobel-winning chemist. He was totally convinced. He's, according to him, there was a 99% probability that they had caused this hurricane to change um, direction. I think he felt a lot about himself, didn't he? He did. He, did. Like, he was yeah. always like, no, that was us. And he would publish papers like that, and the government would step in and be like, you, this paper doesn't exist anymore. Do you right. want us to like grease you? <laughs> yeah. Are you trying to push our buttons? Um, but there was another scientist who pointed out that that same, uh, that a hurricane followed the exact same path caused about the same amount of damage right. in 1906. So was it the dry ice? Was it not? Who knows? So you just compared it to an older hurricane and said this could have happened yeah. na- naturally? Right. Uh, they did the same thing in uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico in 1948 and July 1949. And apparently it rained all over the state of New Mexico and as far away as Kansas causing... Oh, actually, that was later on in 1951. Yeah. But... The same deal from New Mexico. They think they made it rain in Kansas to the point where, like, the great floods of Kansas and adjacent states, they thought, man, could it have traveled that far? Well, that was another Who thing uh, Langmuir was convinced about, that, like, they had impregnated he he clouds that, that traveled a thousand <laughs> kilometers away. Yeah. And enough that he was like, we have to stop doing this. And Bernard Vonnegut testified to Congress, like, nobody should be doing this except maybe a federal government. Right, but then other expert meteorologists came out and said, you know what, this whole thing in Kansas, if there was any effect at all, it might have been just slightly enhanced. Right. So it's really not all your fault. So the the U.S. government is, is very much interested in this. They're very much entrenched in this, even as they're not sure whether or not it's working. Right. Or the scientific community is at odds over whether or not it was working. But the U.S. government was convinced enough that they were basically weaponizing the weather. They're yeah, doing all this to sure. figure out how to screw with other countries – Troops, economies, the whole shebang. Yeah. And as the U.S. were carrying out tests, so were the Brits, right? Yeah, the Royal Air Force, of course, if we had our Project Cirrus, they had Operation Cumulus. Mm -hmm. Very clever (laughs) to think of all these cloud names. Uh, And this was going on recently. In 2001, the BBC investigated these rumors. And um, apparently, or actually, were they investigating the old rumors? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that makes more sense. I thought they did it recently, too, though. No? I don't know. I might the Brits? I don't know. All right. Uh, so in 1952, the, the Royal Air Force did fly above the cloud line, dropped a bunch of this stuff, and 30 minutes later, it started to rain, and it rained and rained and rained. And by the end of the month, uh, North Devon and north of England was um, basically <laughs> got 250 times the amount of rain they ever get. Which is a pretty spectacularly convincing. 250 times. Yeah. It's like flood time. There, there was actually a huge flood too, um, in a uh, village, Linmouth, Linmouth, um, where basically ninety million tons of water converged on the uh, village at once. Unbelievable! On the day that they started seeding, when it started raining, um, and thirty-five people lost their lives. They were carried out to sea. They were crushed by boulders. Entire houses were taken out by boulders that were brought down by the water. Um, but, of course, they said, this wasn't us. Right. And the uh, Royal Air Force pretended it never happened. Yeah. So who knows? Uh, we did our own little experiments here in the U.S. And uh, as far as weaponization goes in Vietnam, we tried to extend the monsoon season on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And apparently it worked by like 30 to 45 days, supposedly. 
we extended monsoon season that year in 1971. At a cost of like $21 million and um, over the course of 2,600 missions. Yeah, and they said it like it's a, they look at it now as a semi-successful mission, mm-hmm. whatever that means. <laughs> it was it was good enough. Yeah. They're like, meh. Things were slippery. Um, and that was actually called Operation Popeye. Yeah, no cloud names. And the whole reason we have uh, an awareness of Operation Popeye is because a uh, reporter named Jack Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, he, uh, he got his hands on a secret memo from the Joint Chiefs of Staff to President Johnson that made reference to weather modification techniques in Laos. And he started digging around and found out that the government had done that. And he, when this article came out, it was at a really good time mm-hmm. because the U.S. government was, or Congress, was not in a mood to uh, weaponize weather. Right. And so they kind of took this article, they took the publicity from it, they took a uh, Senate committee's recommendation that, like, this is way too big for us to be messing with, and went and had a summit with the Soviets about banning weather modification. Yeah, they said it was a lousy idea. Did you practice that one? I, well, I thought too much time had gone by, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to say it anyway. It was good timing. It doesn't matter. When you throw the pun down, it's always bad. It was so, good timing. Uh, it was a lousy idea. And they did. They got together with the Soviets, and they said the the, the big uh, deal breaker, I guess, between them making a deal right then was they couldn't decide between the distinctions of tactical mm-hmm. versus strategic. Mm-hmm. They thought, hey, if it's tactical, that's cool, because we're just trying to benefit from the weather. Um, and make stuff harder on you to get around. Right. Um, strategic uses would like try and like flood a, a major city, ruin crops. Yeah, ruin crops, it, ruin destroy your economy. the economy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the the summit dissolved, but um, the fact that they were even talking about the strategic ones mm-hmm. suggests that the the U.S. and the Soviets both thought that. One or both were on the verge of being sure. able to do weather modification at that level. Um, so the, the, the talks fell apart, but um, at the U.N. basically stepped in and said, hey, we'll take over from here. Yeah. And they created um, NMOD, which is the Environmental, Environmental Modification Convention, which basically bans weaponizing weather. And the U.S. and the Soviets ratified it, came yeah. into effect in 1978. So you can't weaponize weather, but you can – Still do uh, like weather modification as long as it's not what's called geophysical warfare. Right. Like you're trying to dissipate a storm or change the course of a hurricane. Right. For good. For good. And that kind evil. of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for instance, China. They've been at this for a long time, uh, since the late 1950s, and they have a program that employs between 30 and 35 thousand people, <laughs> uh, called the Chinese Academy of Meteorological Sciences. Yeah. And that is. They have a department, the Weather Modification Department, and they use that. And you probably remember in the news even seeing this at the Beijing Olympics, they busted clouds to try and prevent rain from happening. Right. Because they didn't want to rain out their their opening ceremony and their games. Yeah, so any cloud that they saw, they would shoot with rocket-propelled grenades filled with silver iodide. Yeah. um, Or... uh, anti-aircraft artillery mm-hmm. filled with silver iodide. They were just shooting clouds. And those like 30,000 people, a lot of them are farmers who are armed with government-issue um, rocket launchers. Yeah, because they're out in the right place. Yeah, to shoot at clouds. Get that cloud. Yeah. I just did that like a people. southern redneck. That was weird. <laughs> Get that cloud, man. That's <laughs> what they, they sound like <laughs> in China. Jerry just laughed at that one. <laughs> uh, so then Hale 
mm-hmm. is the next thing that we've tried to conquer. Uh, in 1971, the National Hail Research Experiment was started, and basically to suppress hail along what's known as Hail Alley in Colorado, uh, some state called Kansas, Northwest Kansas, <laughs> Southeast Wyoming, and Northwest Nebraska. Right. And um, it was scheduled to last five years, but it did not. I think it was shut down in 1973. Yeah, right? two years ahead of time. Not necessarily through any fault of its own. The 70s turned out to be the, like the driest decade ever right. in Hail so Alley. No hail. Um, but their their whole goal was to uh, seed clouds to basically hurry up the process of them precipitating yeah. so that it wouldn't have a chance to become hail, to keep them warm clouds, too. Um and just to, to, if it is going to hail, they would be smaller pieces of hail, and it would just accelerate the process. Right. Um, but there was some funny things that came out of it. Like we learned that farmers don't like cloud seeding. Yeah, and they tried that in Maryland and Virginia, and there were farmers like shooting at the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in the San Luis Valley, uh, there were uh, somebody blew up with dynamite a um, radar truck for a private weather modification company, <laughs> all in the seventies. So the seventies. Weather mod was not very popular. And in some states now, because of farmers' concerns, uh-huh. um, weather modification is banned. Oh, really? Yeah. On the state level? Yeah. People are afraid that you're going to take the cloud that was destined for their field uh-huh. and use it over your field. That was my cloud. Well, that's we might as well talk about it then. That's a big issue um, as far as our next topic, thwarting hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Seems like a great idea. Yeah. But uh, one leading scientist, uh, what's his name? Uh, Moshe Alamaro. Mm-hmm. He's from MIT. He says, you know, only a handful of hurricanes ever develop out of like a hundred tropical storms, let's say, and very few of those hurricanes cause landfall that do like lots of damage. Right. So this rainfall is vital to South America, and what are we going to start just trying to thwart every tropical storm we see? Yeah. Like we're playing God here a little too much. That's Stuff happens for a reason. Right, exactly. Despite the fact that hurricanes can be very dangerous and, and costly and take lives, I, I get the feeling he's like, you know, we might just want to live with that every couple of years. Rather than try to mess with the thermodynamics of an ocean current. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's kind of what some of the ideas for um, dissipating or moving hurricanes, a couple of ideas are shoot, dropping hydrogen bombs on a hurricane to dissipate it. Yeah. Which I don't know what effect that would have. I don't either. Um, but Bill Gates is in on a patent for um, dissipating hurricanes, which apparently uses fleets of vehicles to pump uh, cold water from lower depths of the ocean yeah. to the surface to mix with the warm surface temperatures or comparatively warmer surface temperatures so that the um, convective currents that those warm surface temperatures create in hurricanes yeah. that make them more and more powerful are dissipated so the hurricane's force is reduced. Yeah, because hurricanes draw their strength from that heat, and uh, if you can cool it down, the idea is that you might can uh, dissipate it. Again, messing with the thermodynamics, is that a good thing? Playing God. <clears throat> and then there's one that's really routine. Um, you've probably looked right past it at your local airport, which is fog dissipation. Yeah, they do this regularly with below freezing temperature fog. Right. Not too hard. They can do it from the ground. Yeah. But aren't they trying to do it with above temperature as well? Yeah, they try cloud seeding to dissipate it as well, but they also um, will heat the landing areas, yeah. which dissipates fog, but it is weather modification. Uh, and then they'll also um, inject uh, propane gas, which ah. apparently dissipates below freezing fog as well at, 
at airports. Have you ever been on a plane that had to be de-iced yeah. before takeoff? That happened to me for the first time this Christmas in Akron. It takes a really long time. It took a long time, and I was right there by the window, by the wing, and I was I watched the whole thing. It was fascinating, but also a little bit terrifying. Um, I was just like... <laughs> Did you get it all? Yeah, exactly. Guys? Did you miss a spot? <laughs> Did you see that? Maybe over we there? should go over it again. Yeah, I wish I knew exactly what they were doing. I'll have to look into that because I always like to know that stuff. Well, I'm sure we could just go ahead and suggest it ourselves. We'll do a podcast, do a podcast. on plane de-icing. Yeah, we should actually. Really? They were, they were spraying uh, the wings. I know that. Yeah. But I don't think it was just like hot water. No, it's not. It's some sort of crazy solution. Yeah, that's what I figured. Crazy cuckoo solution. De-icing. Yeah. Uh, so does this stuff work, Josh? That is a great question, Chuckers. Um, no one really knows. There's actually, you know, we said Irving Langmuir and Bernard Vonnegut were definite true believers. Right. But then there's plenty of other people who are like, you don't know that that happened. It could have just been coincidence. Yeah. Um, and there's actually a split uh, among American um, scientific groups over whether it has any effect or not. Here's what I think. Okay. Here's my immature opinion. I think it possibly works, but... It's such a haphazard result and so not easily, so difficult to control Yeah. that does that really work? Like you may have an effect, but unless you can really pinpoint control it, I don't know if you can say that works. And part of the problem is carrying out rigorous scientific experiments, right? Like sure. if you, you can't control where the wind is going to take the silver iodide. So if you're trying to impregnate one cloud and keep another as a control cloud, how do you know that the control cloud's not infected with with um, silver iodide and right. that it's going to rain as well as a, a, a result of your experiment? So it's a very tough yeah. thing to experiment on. Well, and didn't they find out when they tried to do the um, ice crystals in the hurricane? Didn't they find out that there were already ice crystals there? Yeah, that's so it what, didn't like have much of an effect. Right, NOAA, um, National Oceanic uh, Atmospheric <laughs> Administration. Yeah, um, they carried something out which is pretty cool it's called project storm fury for like 30 years trying to seed hurricanes and yeah they found that oh there's ice there already this isn't going to have an effect well they learned more about hurricanes though that way at least they sure did by being crazy and flying into it (laughs) um and then uh so the national academy of sciences said 30 years of study has produced no solid evidence that this stuff works right the american meteorological society said you know, we think there's probably about a 10% effect that this has. It increases precipitation by 10%. Gotcha. And uh, everybody else says, who knows? Does it hurt? <laughs> Does cloud seeding hurt? I can understand trying to mess with a hurricane. Yeah. But, I mean, just shooting silver iodide in the air. If the Chinese want to do that with their rocket-propelled grenades, go let them have their fun. I think you and I should uh, – they got these biplanes here in Atlanta. I think we should get some dry ice. We should chop it up, and we should – Go take one of these biplane rides on a cloudy day, dump it out, and see what happens. That's a great idea. Let's do it. Okay, let's try it. Can we charge that on the on the company card? We probably could. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, as long as we documented it somehow. That's right. Uh, if you want to know more about things like uh, dry ice, biplanes, weather modification, um, flying into hurricanes, yeah. people have actually done that. I wrote a cool article on it. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Um, you can type all those things into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it will bring up some pretty cool articles. And we also um, worked off of some neat articles that we found online all over the place. So just search weather modification and uh, have a great time with it. <laughs> Uh, since I said have a great time, that means it's time for the listener mix. Uh, 
Before we do listener mail, a couple of quick uh, shout-outs. Uh, one, we want to shout-out our Kiva team with a new goal. Yes. Uh, if you don't know, if you go to kiva.org slash teams slash stuff you should know, mm-hmm. we set up a micro uh, lending team how long ago now? October of 2008. Yes, and it took off. 2009. It began with a little Stephen Colbert challenge, but we quickly dusted him. It was 2009. 2009. Yeah, we wanted to see who could get to 100,000 first. I'm yeah. not sure his team's even there yet, are they? Uh, they? They didn't pay attention to us, but it doesn't matter. Um, the point is, our team is doing great, and we have a new goal thanks to our uh, our de facto captains, Glenn and Sonia. Mm-hmm. They put together the, the numbers for us. And our goal, as of June 21st of this year, is $2 million loan. Yes, by the summer solstice. Summer solstice, two million bucks is our goal for our team. We are well on our way, and uh, jump on board. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and loan twenty five bucks, and if it gets paid back, and you said, you know what, that's the only loan I ever want to make. You can actually get that money back. Yeah, if it feels dirty to you, just wait like about a month, maybe a little longer. I don't know. And once it's paid back, you can take it out. Yeah, and Josh has written some great blog posts on micro lending and the controversies around it, and why we still support it. Yeah, so we're well aware. Yes. Uh, and we also want to shout out our buddy Bill Wadman. Yeah. Uh, we met Bill in Brooklyn, and he's a very talented portrait photographer. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what, I'd love to shoot you guys. You're on my list of people I'd like to work with. Came out to the Bell House, took some great pictures. One of them is now our avatar on our Facebook page. And uh, it was it was a good experience for us, for two guys who really don't like having their pictures made. Yeah, he was very gentle. He was very gentle, and they turned out great. And uh you can see his work at BillWadman.com, or he has a podcast about photography that is not about, oh, what, this is what lens you should get. It's about, uh, it's called On Taking Pictures, and it's more about the philosophy and science of taking pictures. Did you see the post on us? He was like, I think it was titled, like, look at these two schmoes I got that <laughs> sit for me. You can find that on uh, at www.ontakingpictures.com. Yep. And imagine an iTunes, I didn't look, but... If it's a podcast, it's probably on iTunes, right? Probably. I hope so. Anyway, thanks, Bill Wadman. And uh, good luck to you, sir. We'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks, everybody. All right, and now on to listener mail. Uh, this is a nice little Christmas homeless uh, shout-out to our good friend Martin from oh, Glasgow. Man. Scott. love this email. We love our Scottish friends. Uh, guys, you asked for a Christmas story while I was listening to your homelessness podcast. Anyway, last year a friend of mine was going to catch a bus and saw a homeless man outside the bus station. Uh, freezing night and in Scotland you know that it's cold so he decided to give the guy 20 pounds uh, the homeless man began to cry uh, thanked my friends and explained that he was on the street due to a drug problem and uh, after running away from his family um, however that day uh, he had been thinking of going home to his family for Christmas and cleaning up his life now that he had the money he was going to do just that he took my friend's address as he insisted on paying him back so my friend gave him the address and caught a bus. This summer, he received a letter from the man explaining that he did, in fact, go home. He went to rehab, and he is now working for his father. Uh, the family is extremely happy, and he not only included the 20 pounds uh, as payback, but a picture of him in his dad's workshop uh, with his dad and his two brothers. This just goes to show what a little can do for some people, especially around the holidays. Love the show, guys. How about a show on the Scottish Wars independence <laughs> and that is from martin well, that's pretty good and then an awesome letter yeah that was great i just love that one i did too um thanks a lot martin thanks a lot to all of our people in scotland how's it going martin. i didn't say it right it 
gets worse whenever you try. You sounded like Truman Capote on the last I one. used to could do a bit of a Scottish accent. It, it left me. Don't do a Scottish accent. Do Sean Connery. Try it. <laughs> Sean Connery. Martin. See? There it is right there. Uh, if you want to hear Chuck do a certain kind of accent, send us a suggestion. <laughs> he takes all comers, right, Chuck? Sure. Uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Uh, you can send us an email at stuffpodcast at discovery.com or you can join us on at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.